Welcome to the Solo City Church Podcast, a podcast for the glory of Jesus and the edification of the church. The following is a recent sermon from one of our Sunday worship gatherings. We hope you enjoy. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom is divided against itself, is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So because Jesus was filled with the Spirit, this is what that means for him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because the Lord has anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit to do these things. And I'm listening to comfort those who are born, to grant those who are born in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. This is Isaiah 61. To give them this oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And they will be called oaks of righteousness. The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus for the sake of uh, the Lord using Jesus in the power of the Spirit to see these realities come to pass. And in Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized by John. And every record we have of that baptism records the moments after he came out of the waters and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. I don't know if that was like physically you could see that visibly. Or if it was like a spiritual thing that only those who had insight to see could see. But Jesus was baptized and he was filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit descended from heaven onto him 
as a spirit, as a, just like a dove would. And as Jesus is walking the earth and going from town to town preaching, the scripture says that he was healing and he was teaching the things of the kingdom. His ministry is a ministry in the power of the spirit. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of the spirit. In Matthew 12, Jesus references here that we just read. He references the exorcism that he performs on the man as occurring in the power of the spirit of God. Verse 28, you saw that. Verse 28 says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, and the way he frames the question is for the sake of showing us that this is the power of the Spirit of God that I cast out this demon. Interestingly, Jesus does not legitimize his ministry or his, uh, his ministry by his identity here. That he is the Son of God, which he could have done. But instead, he identifies his ministry and the validity of his ministry. By the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit. What does this tell me? It tells me that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of the Spirit of God. With Jesus, I can say that if the Spirit of God cast out demons in this particular passage, if the Spirit of God is who does that, which that's what Jesus is communicating to us, that the Spirit cast out the demon here. The demon-oppressed man is free from all that holds him in bondage because of the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. If that is true, then just as Jesus says that the kingdom of God has come upon you to those who are listening, the kingdom of God has come upon us if this is what is true about this passage. What Jesus accomplishes on the cross is applied to us through the Spirit. The kingdom of God is at hand means that what Jesus has done has been applied to us through the Spirit. Some of those things are new birth. We know that. We are dead, but God made us alive through Christ, right? So that is applied to us through the Spirit. What happens on the cross is something that Jesus accomplishes. But how we experience that is through the application of the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit. He applies the truths and the promises of God to our life. We're blind. But God gives us eyes to see, to taste, to worship God. I love Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. I want to turn there really quickly. If you have your Bible, you don't have to. Philippians 3. This will not be on the screen, so if you don't turn, at least write it down. I've considered making this our mission statement because it's so powerful. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Isn't that amazing? What are we about as a church? Three things. We worship by the Spirit of God. We glorify Jesus. And we put no confidence in our flesh. Now that's countercultural. Okay, that's not the message that you're going to hear everywhere in most churches, right? No confidence in the flesh. But man, this is what the Bible is saying. What a powerful statement. And we were blind, but through the power of the Spirit, God has allowed us to worship Him. We saw that in Philippians 3. Like, we can come to Him, and we can truly commune with Him. I know some of you just moments ago experienced that as Daniel led us in prayer and communion with the Lord. We do not believe. God gave us faith to believe in His Son. This happens through the Spirit. Ephesians 2.8 says, It's by grace you've been saved. Not, not of your works. By grace as you can say, God has made you alive. He's given you this faith that happens through the power of the Spirit. If Jesus' words here are true, 
then what we know is that there are specific implications of our being in the kingdom of God in relation to the Holy Spirit. If Jesus cast out the, the demons in the power of the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon us. And what that means is there are specific implications here. Number one, that we have a real fellowship with the Spirit. It's a real tangible thing. Listen, in the kingdom of God, we have fellowship with the Spirit. The Scripture literally says in uh, 2 Corinthians, the last verse of 2 Corinthians, it says this. I've got to read it because it's so important. 2 Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. The kingdom of God is this fellowship that you have with God through the power of the Spirit. He applies himself. He, he draws near to you through, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He gives himself to you. And not, not only that, but if the kingdom of God has come to us because Jesus had the Spirit of God, then we have the power of the Spirit. Jesus says that uh, there's going to be greater works that we walk in now than what he even walked in. Is that not amazing? Even further, if the kingdom of God has come to us through the power of the Spirit that Jesus had, then we have the heartbeat of God in the Spirit. One thing that I know that um, for you as an individual, if you want to know if you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, here's a good question. Does my heart beat and ache after the things, same things that God's heart beats and aches after? Does your heart break when you see evil? Then does your heart break for those who do not know Him? Are you filled with joy when people come to know Him? Do you desire to see His church healthy and vibrant and beautiful? Do you desire to see the mission of God go forward? As, as effectively as possible in the world. Those things, if you want to know how the Holy Spirit is with you, that's one way. Another way is an implication here of this passage, if we have the Holy Spirit, is that we have direction in our life. We know where we're going. We know what we're doing. We're all about, the scripture would say, we're all about our, our uh, Father's business. That's what we busy our time with. So, there are specific implications of our being in the kingdom of God in relation to the Holy Spirit. And today, I want to offer you just a quick thesis as to what we're going to talk about and some of the things that we're going to look at. And this is it. Is that there is power and freedom through the Spirit when we will receive Him into our life. There is power and freedom through the Spirit when we receive Him into our life the way He desires to be received. So I want to look at those two things. Number one, I want to start with freedom. The freedom we have in the kingdom of the Spirit. What that looks like for us, and specifically in relation to this passage. And the second thing I want to look at is the caution of the kingdom of the Spirit. What the caution, like why we should be cautious and what we should see when he's talking about this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which is very nerve-wracking for me. I remember a season of my life where this passage like haunted me. Oh no, I'm going to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to provide clarity here. I want to finish with showing you the power that we walk in. As, as Christians now. So the number one thing, the freedom we have in the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. What is he saying with this particular reference? Well, number one, he's showing us here that this accusation that the Pharisees and the scribes 
are bringing against Jesus, that he is, he is exercising these miracles in the name of Beelzebul, in the name of demons, in the name of Satan himself, is a total fallacy. It's wrong. It's illogical. And it's illogical because how can Jesus cast out a demon if, Je if the demons are ruling Jesus? It doesn't make sense. But instead, what we see here through his use of this particular metaphor and analogy is the kingdom is breaking in. And this kingdom breaking in was a kingdom of freedom from demonic strongholds. Jesus operating in the spirit as he cast out demons invites us to receive this same power, the same type of freedom that he exercised in this individual's life as we believe in Jesus. As we believe in him, there is, there is a place where God wants to take you that you have never felt more free in. Where you encounter the total freedom of the Holy Spirit, freedom from all of your bondage, all of the things that hold you captive. Because on the cross, Jesus rendered the enemy powerless. This is what Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says. It says that he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus. The demons had no control over what Jesus was going to do. The demons had no power over anything that Jesus said was so. Through the power of the gospel that is applied to us through the Spirit, we can be free from demonic strongholds, guys. I want you to see that. The scripture says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 2. Romans 8, verse 2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You've been set free. The scripture says, Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. We saw that when we were going through the book of Exodus. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17 says this. Now the Lord is spirit. So the Lord is spirit. Spirit of God. And where the spirit of the Lord is, and the scripture says we have the spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And freedom indeed. That is, that is life of God now. And I want, to, I want to break it down into two ways here. There is freedom in our bodies, in our physical bodies. But number two, there is also freedom in our minds and in our thought life. So let's look at freedom in our, in our bodies, our physical bodies. Romans 8 says this. And all things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor anything here present or things to come, physical or, in, or unphysical or spiritual, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation, physical creation, spiritual creation, all of it. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. Or Satan had complete control over us. He was rendered powerless through the power of the Spirit. You see that here. The Spirit of God cast out the demons. He has the power. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2 says that before us, before Jesus saved us, we followed the course of this world. We followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. So what we're seeing here is that Satan had total dominion over those who did not know Jesus. But when we experience the power of the gospel in our life, he frees you from all of that because he has no power over the spirit of God. He has zero say-so in the kingdom of God. He is the snake whose head has been crushed by the foot of Jesus. Have you experienced that? Is that your reality? 
Even further, 1 John 5 says this, that we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Apart from the gospel, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Everything that you see in creation, its brokenness is because it is underneath the power of Satan. But in the gospel, we are from God. We are the ones who have freedom from that particular dominion and rule and oppression and dictatorship. We are free to a better kingdom, a more beautiful kingdom. Jesus Christ has been crucified. He frees us from that. And there is nothing physically that can hold us back. Now listen, we may not experience all that now. There are things that plague us. Physical ailments that plague us. But let me tell you, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, says that, listen, we are being slaughtered all the day long. We should be regarded as sheep who are being led to slaughter. That is our life. But that is not ultimate reality for us. Though we may carry sickness in our bodies, though we may carry disease, though we may carry uh, horrible scenarios and situations. I tell you, when you leave America and you go to other nations across the world, what you quickly realize, specifically in the third world, you know, uh, third world countries, is that when people die, they die really bad, harsh deaths. Like it's not it's simple, like you just fade away in sleep. Like most people, when they go out, they go out hard. Start. And that is our experience here in the world. But this is what we know through the gospel is that that is the ultimate for us. That we have freedom in our bodies. And one day, Jesus is going to say, all creation is going to be renewed. He's going to come back. He's going to renew all that we see. And that's going to include our physical bodies. It's going to include all that you are, an entirely new creation. But not only do we have freedom in our physical bodies, but we have freedom in our minds and thought life. And I really want to just camp right here for a second. Because I think for us in our culture, this is a very important topic. Very important what we see here. Romans chapter 12 says this. If you believe the gospel, if you believe in Jesus, what we get to when we get to chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, all the way to the end, are just practical implications in Romans. That say, listen, because of what we find out in Romans 1, 3, 5, 6, 7, and especially in Romans 8 about this new kingdom and this new life we now have in the Spirit. What we find out about that now is this, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In the life of the Spirit that we now have, we are not, we are not conformed to the world. We're not held captive to the way the world thinks or the way the world acts. But now we have the freedom to be transformed completely in all of your thought life, in your minds, to be renewed in your minds. And the scripture says here that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is the freedom we now have in the gospel to be free from all that. God can and does in the life of of his kingdom, through the power of the Spirit, he can transform our thought patterns completely. He wants to do that. John 8, verse 44 says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. Those who do not know Jesus, no wonder they believe some of the things they say they believe about themselves. No wonder they hate themselves. No wonder they're filled with anxiety and insecurity and depression and everything in between. But in the kingdom, this is not our existence. 
We do not have to be defined by that. And Paul says, listen, you have freedom to be free from that which holds you in bondage in, in your mind, in your life, in your emotional thoughts. We can be free from that and be transformed by the renewal of our mind. And the Holy Spirit gives us freedom from these lies. He gives us freedom from this. We can see them for what they are. Opposed to believing lies about ourselves, like depression and worthlessness and insecurity, here's five, here's five lies that we tend to believe. And then I know to a certain level, a certain extent, all of us struggle with this. Henry Nowen came to Police Five. He's a, a great author and a great, um, just a great guy to read when it comes to like how we're affected by the gospel. These are five lies of identity, he says. He says, the first lie about your identity that we tend to believe is that I am what I have. I'm defined by my possessions. So we accumulate, we accumulate, we get the new car, and we get the new house, and we get the nice clothes, and we say, that's going to make me happy. That's going to give me that identity that I seek and long for. That's a lie that we believe, that I am what I have. We're totally defined by all that we have. What? We see in the Bible uh, is that Paul was content in plenty and in want, in satisfaction and in hunger. He was content across the board because his identity was not rooted in the lies of culture, but it was rooted in God Himself. What God said about it. The second lie that we tend to believe is that I am what I do, and this is where I struggle. I am what I do. That what I do in my life defines who I am. But instead, the gospel speaks a different word to us and says, no, we are defined by what Christ has done. Nothing that we do, we are justified as if we had never sinned. We are justified as if we had never done one work or sinned one time. We are justified before God, not based upon what we do. Your identity is seated in heaven where Christ is. It's not here. But yet, in our daily experiences at man, I'm, I'm defined by what I do. I believe the lie that, you know, if I fail... What, what I put my hand to, then that really is the final ultimate word over my life, right? That's what we want to believe. If, we don't, if I don't get that sales business transaction finalized and I lose that business, then man, I'm just a, I'm a wreck. Or if I lose my job, who am I going to be as a person? Jesus speaks a better word to us. The third lie that we tend to believe about our identity is that I am what other people say or think of me. And we're held captive to every person's thoughts about ourselves. We're uh, held captive to our reputation and building of our reputation. To where we become a total fraud in front of people. And we create the persona that we want other people to believe about us. And what we don't realize is that absolutely kills us and destroys us eternally. But we can so easily be taken over by these things. Number four lie. I am nothing more than my worst moment. So if you're a mom, you scream to your kids, the lie that we want to believe is that that's what defines you. Or if you're um, a businessman and you lashed out at all of your employees and they think that you're just a piece of crap because of what you, what you said to them, the lie that we want to believe is that's what defines me. But the gospel speaks a different word to us and says, the worst moment of your life now is the cross. And I conquered that. The last lie that we tend to believe is that I'm nothing less than my best moment. 
And what this causes is extreme despair and depression because what happens in our life is we see how mediocre we really are and how, uh, how ordinary life really is. And it causes us to realize that, man, we're not, we're not exceptional. In our flesh, we do not have the righteousness of God that we so long to attain to. And it causes despair. And it causes depression. It causes anxiety. As we seek to have a much better moment than the first. But the gospel speaks a different, a different uh, truth to us. The only truth. That we're not defined by that. The best moment in our life is the moment of resurrection. Where Jesus rose from the grave. Are these things that you believe? Are these things that control you? Because in the power of the Spirit, you can be free from those things. When we have the Holy Spirit and we grow in the things of God, the Spirit leads us to understand these things. That God loves us. God's love for us now in Christ. That we're not defined by these particular lies that culture leads us to believe and those who do not know Him build their entire life upon. These faulty foundations. These shaky Foundations, these houses made of sand. But instead, we see a, a, more, a more solid truth in the gospel that God loves us. Listen, God has sent his love upon you from eternity if you believe in Jesus. How much confidence is that for your life? And we can sit here and communicate it all day long, but what the Spirit does is it leads us in these truths. It leads us to deeper levels of understanding these things. The Spirit leads us to understand our redeemed nature. The Spirit leads us to understand God's will for us. That He has a better plan in store for us. You know, this past January, I was going, we were going through Abraham, right? So in January, we went through Genesis for about a month and just looked at some of the high, high points of what was happening in Genesis. And man, I was totally just impacted by that in a major way. So much so that, like, for me, it really led me to, to talk with Jesse and, and, and consider selling our house. Because of how much more we understood the fact that we're sojourners. Like, I put so much hope in the things that I have. So listen, my life is not about those things. My life is about this sojourning. This journey to the promised land one day that I'm going to experience. Like Abraham was. He was sojourning to a place to where he was going to experience the promise that God had given him. When we have the Spirit, it leads us to understand those things. Those high level things. And then also God's protection. Over us. So, in summary here, Jesus has freed us through the power of the Spirit to not believe these things, but to abound in hope in this life. This is what Romans 15, 13 says. It says, Paul praying this prayer, he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. That happens through the Holy Spirit. So that, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. How beautiful is that? That now we, this is, we have this hope in this new kingdom, this new eternity that's coming through the power of the Spirit. So the second thing we want to talk about is not just the freedom that we have in the Spirit, but the caution we have in the kingdom of the Spirit. Jesus also offers us here a caution when he talks about blaspheming the Spirit. This is what he says in verse 31. Therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven Many people today, probably people in this room, uh, they tremble at this verse as they think about it. And some of this trembling is good. 
as we revere the Word. We should, we should come before Him and fear Him in a healthy way. That's what Proverbs shows us. But some of the trembling is self-inflicted because of a faulty understanding of what He's saying as we don't fully understand this verse. So what does the blasphemy of the Spirit really mean? To understand this passage, we need to look at the historical context. The Pharisees and the scribes were the people that Jesus were talking to here. Um, they were seeing the miracles of Jesus that uh, Jesus was performing in front of them. When they were there, they were watching Jesus uh, cast out demons of people. And they were attributing Jesus' work to Satan himself. They were looking the Son of God in the face and telling him that he was the devil. Okay? That's what they were doing. That's what Jesus is approaching here. And we know from this passage and others that their slander of the Son of God did not just happen one time. Okay? Rather, they were so hardened against Jesus and against Jesus' kingdom. They were so hardened against him that they continued to slander and slander at every opportunity that they received. And the scribes knew the scriptures. They were to be God's people. But they did not know God. And further, they rejected him. R.C. Sproul says this about this passage. I think it's very helpful. He says, when people know the scriptures well, they are associated with Christianity and yet not only fail, fail to recognize Jesus as Messiah, but also openly reject him. Those people are standing on perilous ground. They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with this passage? Number one, be encouraged that if you are worried that you have blasphemed the Spirit, you're not guilty of this sin. If you're sitting here filled with worry and filled with, with anxiety, and man, have I blasphemed the Spirit? Have I blasphemed Him? You are not guilty of the sin. He who blasphemes God to avoid forgiveness, to the extent of avoiding forgiveness, is hard-hearted and doesn't know that he has done so. The level of sin here that we see here is so evil and so deep and so on a level of, of no return that he is not privileged forgiveness because he doesn't want it. And if you stand here today and you say, oh Lord, please let this not be me, then it is not me. But also this passage does not lead us to believe that God's forgiveness offered in Christ is conditional. Some's forgiven and some's not forgiven. No, this passage should believe us and show us that they never had the Spirit to begin with, and they have rejected God Himself. They never had Him. They never actually possessed the Spirit. So, because of this, let me just say this: Let us tremble underneath the hand of God as we think that we could uh, see a work of the Spirit as the Pharisees did, and not turn to Him and profess Him. As Lord. Let us tremble with that. We live in an area where the culture creates many who blaspheme the Spirit. These are people who know the works of God and they have seen them. They have seen God move. They're individuals who grew up in the church. They watched people come to Christ. They watched Jesus do amazing works in their midst. They're individuals who have journeyed across the world on short-term mission trips. And they've seen God at work in amazing ways. In ways that they, that Jesus, in Jesus' day, didn't even see. But they fail to recognize or submit to the Lord of Lords. And they fail to, to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. 
Jesus is the one who would free them from our sin. That is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has testified over and over and over in someone's life and they fall from the faith, that is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let us tremble at that. And today, if you hear his voice or for the sake of this passage, you see his work and you've experienced his work, do not harden your hearts. Guys, there are many in this room that at times, you know, I, I look at how you live and I look at the lack of seriousness in, uh, in your life when it comes to the Christian faith. And I would say, tremble, that you would be part of a Bible-believing, spirit-empowered church and not be radically changed by the gospel. Tremble with that. This is God's grace in your life. This is God's grace that here we are right now, and here we are talking about the scriptures and diving into them, and we're not trying to be pretty and fancy, but we're just reading it for what it is. And the Spirit of God is being laid bare before your eyes. Let us not harden our hearts to that, but let us run to Him, the author, the finisher, and through the power of the Spirit, believe upon Him like we never have in our life. And we can be sure that we have not blasphemed Him. Repent today and turn to Christ. Let us not be those who have seen great moves of God and have remained nominal in our faith and continued in rebellion. But let's move past that. And let's move into deep communion through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the last thing I want to say is that we have a mission in the kingdom of the Spirit. We have a mission. If we have the Spirit through the gospel, we should set our minds on the things of the Spirit. We should live in this reality to where we're communing with God on a regular basis. How we fulfill 1 Thessalonians is says, pray without ceasing is through the power of the Holy Spirit. God dwells with us now. We can walk every day abiding with Him. How we abide in uh, John chapter 15 is in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we should set our minds on the things of the Spirit every day. We are not defined by a temporal reality anymore. There was a time before you knew the gospel where legitimately you were going to die and be forgotten. But not in the gospel. Not in Christ. We are a part of a new kingdom. We don't have to live for the temple, but we can set our mind upon the things of the Spirit, the things that we know to be true for us for all eternity. Romans 8, 5 says, But live according to the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So we should set our minds on the things of the Spirit, but also we should walk in the power of the Spirit. Time would fail me to testify to you of all of the work that God is doing throughout our city, throughout the world, and if we would have ears attentive to that work, we would see that God is in our midst. He's doing great things. The scripture says in Romans chapter 15, it says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Literally, our life now in Christ is this new mission to where God is using us and empowering us to go take the gospel through proclaiming it, through word, through deed, through signs and wonders, through the power of the Holy Spirit to all of the world that every person would bow at the name of Jesus one day. And that's what God is calling us into, a time of life. God is calling you into a life of spiritual power. I can say that with confidence. So let's walk in the power of the Spirit. 
Let's wake up every morning and say, Jesus, fill me with your spirit and use me. This is the promise we have in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. That Jesus is going to the right hand of the Father, and now you will receive power to be witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Everywhere that we can go will be underneath the supremacy of Christ. And when we walk in the Spirit, that reality comes to, comes to fruition right here and now. So you can. You can wake up tomorrow. You can leave here and pray before you go out the doors. You can uh, set a trajectory for the rest of your life to where all that you do is done in the power of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 3 verse 5 says that if we believe the gospel, we are filled with an unending fountain of the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Him, you will have Him. And you can walk in the power of the Spirit. And as we close, I want to just highlight a couple things of what I believe walking in the Spirit really means for us. And the first one I would say this is that walking in the Spirit is being on the front lines of good triumphing over Leslie Newbegin has this quote. It's my favorite quote. I've shared it before. That uh, missions is nothing other than the desire to abide with Jesus on the front lines of good triumphing over evil. That's the Christian life. That's the mission of God. It is saying, I know where you're at. And you're on the front lines of where your kingdom has not been professed and proclaimed. And I want to go there because I will have more of you right there. That is what walking in the Spirit looks like today. Let me tell you, if your life doesn't have the margin to be where Christ has not been named or believed on in our city, then you should reevaluate things. You should look at your life and say, Jesus, like, I believe that your Spirit leads us to those who do not know you. So lead me there. Pray that and he will, and he'll show you what that looks like for you. And one particular framework I want to offer us as we close is Micah 6.8. Many people know this verse, that... All of these truths about the gospel, Micah chapter 1 through 6, we see it's just full of just truth and glory and beauty, what God's going to accomplish through Christ. And then we get to Micah 6, 8, he asks the question, he says, and because of all of these things, what does God require of you? What does he require of you? To love mercy, act justly, to walk humbly with your God. So let's think through that paradigm, to do justice. God's heart breaks for that which is broken in the world here. Walking in the Spirit for you looks like you going to the areas where you can right that which is wrong. One of those specifically that is on our, like before us at all times, is caring for the marginalized people of our society. Caring for them. Being among them. Jesus was among those people on a regular basis, whether it be illegal immigrants, whether it be uh, the poor, whether it be the homeless whether it be oppressed minorities or whatever that is, caring for them, seeking their welfare. But number two, mercy. Walking in your life uh, in areas that like God wants to do an amazing work, caring for people, take, taking care of needs, um, feeding people, opening up your home to ask for hospitality, those type of things. And walking humbly. The last thing about walking in the Spirit is seeing and understanding that God wants to take your a humble walk, your simple walk. He's not wanting to transform anything. He's not wanting you to do anything extra, but to take your everyday reality and leverage it for the kingdom of God. That is, that's what it looks like for the Spirit to come upon you. To do amazing work in your life. 
And ultimately, walking in the Spirit is simply worshiping Jesus with your life. Everything that you do. Humbly coming before the Lord and saying, listen, we worship by the Spirit of God and we glory in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence in our flesh. Let that be our church as we go forward. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Solo City Church podcast. We hope that you are encouraged and empowered to follow Jesus more than you ever have before. For more information about our church, please visit solocitychurch.com.